In the month of August, we have invited guests to the show that are absolute miracles. The events surrounding their birth were quite complicated and each very unique. And today, we are concluding this mini-series with Michelle's story. And what you are about to hear is a story that began really hard. By the time Michelle was a teenager, she had already escaped death four times. And as she shares her story with you today, I want you to hear when hope enters her story. To quote Michelle, she says, when she made the choice to surrender her life to God, that is when she got her life. Stay tuned for Michelle's story. Today, I am excited to introduce you to my friend, Michelle. She is a wife, a mother, a grandmother, a great-grandmother, and an entrepreneur. Michelle's story of survival in her life is so miraculous. There are several times in her life where she escaped the worst, and you're going to hear that. We met through the Abortion Survivors Network, and we both have a passion for life. And Michelle, I'm so excited to have you on. Welcome today. Thank you. To kind of start off my story, after watching the movie, have you seen the movie, It's a Wonderful Life? Oh, yeah. A long time ago. Yes. Yeah. So with that movie, I kind of did a little research and it, the actual title for the story was The Greatest Gift. And it's really interesting. The person that wrote the movie actually had a dream, got up, wrote the story and tried to publish it and was rejected. I don't know how many times. And finally, what he decided to do was he did 200 Christmas cards with it and send it out to friends and family. And somehow it ended up in the hands of Frank Coppa and the other actor in it. They bought it for $10,000. No way. Oh, my goodness. I did yeah. not know and that. And so I believe that was back in 1943. So that's how long it's been around. But, you know, with that story, George, he did not believe that his life was a gift. And in fact, he told Clarence the Angel he wished he had never been born. And it wasn't until, in a sense, Clarence temporarily takes away George's life that he begins to understand what it's all about. Every life is a gift. For me, there was a time in my life that I did not believe that my life was a gift. I felt my life had very little value. As children, we were subject to all kinds of neglect, abuse, and trauma. There were five of us in the beginning, and we were like hot potatoes. We'd be passed back and forth between this relative and that relative. Here, you take them. No, you take them. And so we didn't feel like we were wanted at all and really felt like we were a burden on people. Just with all the different hands that we were in, there was all kinds of abuse and neglect and a lot of trauma that we experienced. Even in this, when I was in the first grade, it had been over 18 months since I'd seen my mom. And so I, you're busy with life, you don't realize. And it dawned on me during class one day when the teacher asked the question, she was having us create cards. So it must have been Mother's Day. And as I sat there and I looked around the room, it dawned on me that, well, these kids are making cards for their moms. So they've got a mom and I don't. Well, why don't I have a mom? Mm. Because it had been that long since I'd seen her. And then the other thing with this teacher, just acts of kindness. You don't know how you impact people, right? And so with her, I still remember her and I had really bad eczema. It was on my arms and my hands. They were just cracked and bleeding. And in the beginning, I'd go to school and I'd dread seeing her because I felt like I was going to be in trouble because she would tell me, you have to get lotion. Have your parents buy, get you lotion. You need to be putting lotion on. And as a six-year-old, I had no idea how to get lotion and have the ability to get any lotion. And so one day when I got to school, she had bought me lotion and I thought, oh, you fixed it. And I don't think it really even helped because it was eczema. It was such a relief to me because I thought I was getting in trouble and she fixed the problem. 
such an act of kindness on her part. And just, you never know how you're affecting somebody else's life. And that was a simple thing for her, but it had a big impact on the six-year-old. So I was kind of looking back and about, you know, how many different schools we'd been to. Every year through the seventh grade, I was living in a different state. That's how much back and forth and all around we were going. And even sometimes when we lived in these states, we were still moving around constantly because they didn't pay the rent or but with a different relative. And it was no consistency with the education or with the school. So we were always the new kid. And that was pretty tough. A lot of bullying going on. And I think it was harder for the teachers to, to, you know, because they didn't really have a background on us and to be able to keep up in school with the kids. I can imagine that was hard on both you and your teachers, as you mentioned. You know, around 10, I remember you saying you found out some shocking news. Tell us about that. When I was 10, I had moved in with my grandparents and they were living in Acton, California. And my grandmother called me aside and said, then let me know that I had a different dad than my siblings. And I was excited about it, which is a weird thing for a 10-year-old. You would think I would have been devastated. But because of there not being that parent, he wasn't, you know, the one I thought was my father wasn't really good to us. He was pretty abusive. I was actually kind of relieved that he wasn't my father, which is pretty sad if you think about a 10-year-old feeling that way about it. Yeah. And then I got to meet my biological dad when I was 11. That was a very positive thing for me. He was a fireman and had a nice home and a nice family and was kind of normal. And so that was always such a great thing to be able to go and spend time with them. That was kind of short-lived because, you know, he got divorced when I was 15. And then there was a lot of other stuff going on. And at that point, not only did I not believe that life was a gift, but I didn't want to live it anymore. I felt like it was just way too painful. And I made a decision in my life, took a bottle of Valiums, went to sleep. And I felt good about the decision because that seemed like the answer to the pain. And I remember waking up and I couldn't believe I was still alive. I'm kind of, I was shocked that I was still alive. It wasn't long after that that I decided to leave home and I didn't have any place to go. And my friend asked her mom if I could come and live with her. And she said, yes. And so I remember the neighbors gathering up enough gas money to take me on that three-hour round trip to drop me off. And then living with her mom and her, with her family, we had to go to school. We had to go to church. She was real strict about what we could wear and, you know, you could watch certain movies And I remember as a 15-year-old pretending to be annoyed by her mothering. I loved the structure. I loved that she believed in me and she saw that my life was a gift. When I was 17, I went to visit with my mom and we're sitting in her room at a little round table and having a really nice visit. She made the comment, it's a miracle you're even alive. And so, you know, I'm thinking she's talking about, I had been run over twice as a toddler. And the second time that I was ran over, a truck ran over my body stopped on top of my head. They got out to see what they had ran over. They thought it was a toy. And there I was at two and a half laying underneath the truck tire. And in shock, he remembers thinking, do I go forward, continue over the top of her head? It'll probably kill her. Or do I roll back over her body and get off of her head as quick as I can? And that's the decision that he made. And with that, I mean, it's a miracle that I lived. I mean, I don't know. Those trucks had to be and that was back in the 60s. I can't only imagine. Yeah. Full body cast. I still have a huge scar on my head from my skull being cracked open and wasn't supposed to walk. When my mom went to get the cast off, I was in a full body cast. And when they went to take it off, he told her she's, she'll be crippled. She'll never walk. 
And I was able to walk out of there, which was amazing. So it's two amazing miracles as a toddler. That's wow. But anyway, that's not what she was saying. I could not believe what I was hearing. She talked about how she had had an abortion when she was pregnant with me. And she had gone to a back alley abortionist. And she said it was a coat hanger abortionist. She almost died. She bled really heavily. She thought the abortion was successful. The reason she went to have the abortion is because she was married with three children and decided to leave her husband and had my dad, my biological dad, drive from Las Vegas to Utah to pick her up. And he did. And then shortly after, they discovered that she was pregnant. And so they had a plan. And the plan was to have her go back to Utah so that everybody would think it was Gary's baby. So he gave her his car, sent her in an MG back to Utah. Halfway there, the engine froze. And so what had happened was her husband had come to Las Vegas out of revenge, put sugar in the tank. So that plan didn't work. (laughs) So my goodness, without even telling my biological dad what her plans were, she was still worried about this illegitimate child. So she met some people at a bar and they connected her with this back alley abortionist. And so without even telling my dad, she went and did it. And then she went back to him and they both tried to stop the bleeding. They really thought she was going to die because he was wanting to marry. He was excited and scared at the same time about being a father. And it destroyed their relationship as a result of it. And so she went back to her husband and then, you know, everyone just pretended like I was his for all those years, even though I think they knew an aunt of mine told me that she remembers sitting with her and her telling the aunt that she was in a lot of trouble because she was pregnant and it wasn't Gary's baby. And at that point, she was contemplating going and giving it a second round of getting rid of the baby. Wow. So glad she didn't. So were you born in Utah? I was born in California. So I don't know why they left Utah and went to California, but she went into labor. Nobody was around. There were some ladies that saw her through the window and could tell she was in distress. And I think they called the police. And so one police officer came in time to deliver me. So it was just my mom and the police officer. And I was born. So I was born at home. And he was like, it must have been the first baby he ever helped deliver because he was ecstatic. She's so beautiful. She's so beautiful. So I like to joke. The first man who ever held me and told me I was beautiful was a police officer. (laughs) And I remember when she told me that shot, she had aborted me. For me at 17, it totally rocked my world. Because I think, you know, being 17, prior to hearing this, you feel like it's a nice age to be at. Life is pretty fun. You're kind of independence. You're almost an adult. And just hearing that was so devastating. Because I think the culture at that time, and even now, was if you're going to abort a baby, it's just garbage. And the sad thing is for me, then I felt like, well, there you go. I knew I was always garbage. And the record that went off in my head quite a bit after that was, you are really worthless. You're a failed abortion. At 18, I became pregnant. He was in no condition to be a father. We lived together for a little bit, but everyone encouraged me to abort that baby. And of course, you know, I've always loved babies and I wasn't going to do anything like that. Thank God. But it was hard being a single mom, you know, for that first two years, because as I didn't have any support, even as a kid, Now I'm a mom and I still have no support system because it's just me and her. And so it was pretty tough. Anyway, and then I got pregnant a second time and I barely knew him. I was a brand new Christian. 
And so out of guilt and shame and in my own secrecy, I decided to marry him. By the second night, I realized what a big, big mistake I'd made because he was very violent. He was an alcoholic. And the funny thing about that story, too, is I really did marry him in secret. When I was with him, I was in the process of moving from California to Oregon. And I had been living in Las Vegas with my biological dad, was visiting with my family before we made this big move, right? So on the way from Las Vegas to Oregon at a truck stop, a rest stop, I had to let my dad know that I was married because he didn't know. And he's like, well, he was real upset. He was like, well, why did you do that? Are you pregnant? And yes, I had to let him know I was pregnant. And so it was pretty devastating for him, disappointing, I guess. I was living in Oregon probably a month before he came up. On the way up, he stopped at a hotel and went to jail because he got in a fight there and he <laughs> broke things in the police car. I mean, he was very, very, very broken and very lost. Anyway, so that's kind of how we started. At that point is when I looked at my life and I realized I'm making so many bad decisions. This is not the life that I want for my children or myself. And I wanted to run. I did. I wanted to run, but I, I felt like the only place I could run at that point was to God. I had a little bookstore, a little Bible bookstore there in Canyonville, Oregon. And when my husband came into town, you know, it's a little bitty town and he's going to the bars and he's drinking and getting in fights and very physically abusive and all that kind of stuff. And so, but at that point in the back of the shop where I was working, that's whenever I just decided, God, even though I don't feel like doing this, this is not what I want to do, but I'm going to do your will and not mine. I'm going to obey you and I'm going to love him. I'm going to be a good wife to him because that's what you want me to do. And I want to follow you. Making that choice to surrender my life to him is when I got my life. It was literally maybe a week. Somebody invited us to church. We went, they had a guest speaker. He was a prophet, which I had never seen or heard anything like it in my life. He called us both up, began to pray over us. And his prayer over me, part of it was, Father, I see her standing in her kitchen and she's giving you praise for what you're doing in her husband's life. And sister, God wants you to know that he inhabits the praises of his people. Mm. I had just been standing in my kitchen doing the dishes. And the thought occurred to me because I'm a brand new Christian and I'm just learning what God says. And I learned that God said we're to give thanks in all things. So with the right heart and the right attitude, I began to give God thanks. And I was just praying it in my head. It was between me and God. And I was just thanking him that I was married to this alcoholic. And I thanked him that he got in a fight and he broke his arm. And because he broke his arm, now he lost his job. And now that he lost his job, I don't know how we're going to pay the rent. And our health insurance isn't going to be there anymore. And this baby's due soon. That night, when he began to pray over us, you could tangibly almost feel God. I was crying. I was shaking because of all the love and the mercy and the goodness and the kindness and all the attributes of God that he was just pouring it into me. And there was so much healing. And it was so amazing that God saw me. God heard my prayer. Yes, he did. It was just so quickly after that, God began to just restore my heart. And then my husband totally did a 180. I mean, you know, he couldn't work, but, you know, God touched him too. And because of it, he was hungry for God's word. He just went to Bible studies. He read the Bible. God completely changed him. Complete miracle. That was over 35 years ago. My husband had three children in Hawaii. 
And then together, you know, and I had the one child prior to us coming together. And then together we've had six beautiful children and their lives are such a gift. And we've got 21 grandchildren and three great grandchildren. Wow. So it's amazing. Yeah. And only that, but I don't think there's ever been a time in the 35 years that we've been married that God hasn't brought somebody to come and stay with us for just a season of hope and sometimes entire families. I mean, we've had very little breaks. We started off with a little house. It didn't matter, even though our house was tiny, our hearts were big and God filled it. God's also redeemed my relationship with my mom. Mm -hmm. And she sees my life as such a gift. And I'm with my siblings. My life has mattered to them. And I think it's that way for everybody. And that's why I say, you know, every life is a gift. And we just don't know. You know, you think about the people that you love and you think about what would happen, just like George did. When Clarence showed him these other people's lives because he wasn't there. I've got family members that struggle with different things and I've been able to help. And I'm sure all of us have done that, right? And if you think about your life, where would others be? You know, and not only that, if you think about your children and the people that they bless, they wouldn't be there if you weren't there to bless those other lives. Life is definitely a gift, isn't it? For sure. Mm -hmm. Yep. And we just don't know the magnitude of our lives. We don't know. And I don't think we're going to know just like the first grade teacher, right? Until we get to heaven, I think there's going to be people that are going to approach us and they're going to be like, thank you. They're going to thank us. And we're not even going to realize we don't even know now what we've done that's made a difference to them. And the more that we can do, the better too. I mean, that's what it's really all about is being a blessing. Yeah. You have a gigantic family. I can only imagine what it's like when all of you guys get together with all the kiddos and, oh, that's got to be amazing. Just the ripple effect that each one of those lives have out there as well. It's just, yeah, it's almost uncomprehensible like, yeah. to imagine, to fathom that. Yeah. All the love, right? All the love, all the relationships. It's beautiful. Yeah. Life's a beautiful gift. It's the greatest gift. Yeah. And to think that mine was almost stopped. Because right now I'm such a huge help to my mom. I'm a huge help to my dad. And Michelle, we hear four times. I hear four times in your life that your life was almost taken when your mom was pregnant with you. I mean, even to have that reaction in her body to be bleeding like that, I would have thought that that was a successful procedure, if you will, right? And yet you survived that. And then two times as a toddler being run over by a vehicle and then a big truck and surviving that. And then even when life seemed hopeless and you tried to take your own life again, you were spared. I mean, that's four times by 17, 19, 17, no, 15, 15, 15. four times by 15. And now look at the incredible family. I just feel like there's so much hope in hearing that. And now you're on the other side of it, even after 15, when things seemed really hard in your marriage. And, you know, there are many people I'm sure that would have told you, yeah, give up, leave. And yet look what God did. And that was your story, right? I know, you know, I have a lot of friends who have gone through things and, you know, didn't see God work quite as miraculously, but you held on and there's so much hope in that. And So I just want to encourage if someone's listening right now and you're thinking this is a really dark time, if things are really hard for you and you're thinking, you know, that there's not a hope, there's not a life after this circumstance. I just want to encourage you with Michelle's story because you hear from birth to toddler to 15 to the beginning of a hard marriage. And now they've been married for 35 years 
you know, 10 kids, 21 girls. I mean, that is amazing. There's just so much hope in your story, Michelle. Yeah. And, um, There's so much purpose. Yeah. I think it's his grace and just surrendering to him, you know, coming as we are because giving him all of our brokenness, all of our pain, our mess, because he's really good at cleaning them up. I love the story of you standing in your kitchen, praising God for things that were hard, right? You weren't praising him for, you know, amazing things. You were sat the sacrifice of praise, right? You were sacrificing and praising him. And then for God to send, you know, that pastor to speak those same words over you, God sees you and he saw you in that moment and then told you he saw you. And that's pretty amazing. Yeah. And I think there's something about having a grateful heart and thankfulness, because I think, you know, no matter what you're going through in your life, even the hard things, knowing that God is sovereign, God's in control, and God sees it, God loves us, God wants to give us a hope and a future, and God wants to bless us, no matter where we're at, regardless of our circumstances, come into agreement with who he is, and trust him and have that faith just to be thankful in everything, then that, I think, frees him up to go ahead and do different things. You know what I mean? I think that was really pivotal in my walk was having that right attitude and just acknowledging him in all my ways. That's very encouraging. Very encouraging. Even in today's world, when things are hard, things are hard. Mm -hmm. And that's very encouraging to just surrender to him and trust him to do what only he can do. I know that you have a quote from Clarence, the angel. Do you have that handy? I do. Yes. Strange, isn't it? Each man's life touches so many other lives. When he isn't around, he leaves an awful hole, doesn't he? Mm -hmm. And isn't that true? Yeah. Because, and then if it's okay, can I read a poem that I wrote to you? I would love for you to read it. It is so beautiful. Yes, please. I, I titled it The Greatest Gift. Life is God's greatest gift. Every life is a miracle created with divine intention. Through our lives, others he'll uplift. Created in his image, we are his heart's extension. What if I was terminated? What if the secret plan hadn't been stopped by God's redeeming hand? Lives would have been altered, this is for certain. My life has been a blessing and a source of hope for the hurting. For those who know and love me, it wouldn't be the same. They would surely testify, it would be a shame. My life has been far from perfect, but that's not what it's about. I am more than a choice, not a shadow of a doubt. In ignorance and shame, my mother tried to rid herself of me. The ending of this innocent life wasn't what would be. So surprised was she to discover she still carried me. What if the miracle of me didn't continue to be? Ask my mother and my father. Ask my grandparents, too. Ask my brothers and my sisters. There would be no precious friendships or family on my tree. My beautiful children and grandchildren just wouldn't be. Greatest gifts and miracles, shades of love, my legacy, touching the lives in their paths so wonderfully. God has richly blessed me, and for this, my heart is filled with gratitude. The imprint of his love in me, I'll never know the magnitude. I hear the many reasons they lie to and try to justify It's a choice without the right to live as they condemn to die. History has been forever altered, blessings we will never see. How many of the greatest gifts and miracles didn't come to be? That is really beautiful, Michelle. It's really the story of so many survivors as well as 
you and I have worked together with the Abortion Survivors Network. That's the story of so many survivors. I feel like you put into words what we feel. And then thinking about, we don't know how we've altered history. Michelle, thank you for the gift of your life and for sharing your story with us. And we don't share stories just to share stories. We share stories to show people what God has done in your life so that then they know that he can do it in theirs. And I think you have a really powerful story, Michelle. Thank you so much for being with us today and for being just so honest and transparent. I appreciate you.